tonight. So the passage is Revelation 3, verses 1 to 6, on page 1,238, or in the last book of your Bibles. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And I'll invite Mark up to speak on that passage. Um, Dear God, as Mark comes to speak to us from Revelation, I pray that the preparation he's done this week and the words that he speaks will be um, edifying to us as a church, that they'll be able to encourage us and um, help us to know you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Ebony. Fantastic. Great to see you tonight. I was uh, introduced uh, earlier from Ebony. I'm Mark. I manage a Q student residence with my wife, Amy, but also part of the ministry team here at Q Baptist. I'm not sure. Is there a few lighting issues? I feel like I'm in the dark up here. Uh, all good? No, I am preaching out of Revelation, so there is a bit of that sense of uh, sort of drama, isn't there, when we're uh, opening the book of Revelation, which is good. So I've been a Christian now for uh, almost 20 years, and I've loved how many times my perception, uh, my position on something has been changed or challenged when God's Word is opened. And this series of, on Revelation, which we're, we're in the middle of at the moment, uh, has done that. And uh, previously, I probably would have, when I'd read uh, the book of Revelation, I found it quite uh, gloomy and, and a little bit uh, sort of drama-filled, or sort of like, dun, 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 just in that sense of just, oh man, that's just so, the language and the, and you know, we, we call it love letters from God, but I'd never sort of read it um, like that. Uh, but truly, over the last four weeks, and even as I've been preparing uh, for this tonight, I've just, just, just been able just to um, glean so much from the Scripture, and I've just been so encouraged. So, just a little bit of context, because it's always important when, when summarising, and I'm aware that you might be even here tonight, and you just we're in the middle of a series, so it's important that I, we just give you a little bit of a heads up, that we are in the middle of a series, like I mentioned, the Book of Revelation, which is the final book of the Bible, um, and uh, we're, we are teaching through the first three chapters, there's seven letters to the churches. Uh, the Apostle John writes these at the, near, the end of his life as he has a, an experience where there's a, a vision, he receives a vision from Christ and uh, these specific messages to the seven churches, important, I think Nick mentioned this last week, is to the churches, not the townships, it's to the church and we're going to look at one of those 
today, which is called Sardis. So just a little bit of information, just some facts about uh, Sardis, the town itself, because Sardis had a reputation. It was a wealthy city. It was situated on the junction of some important uh, and roads that led to trade, which meant that it was wealthy and, and it was doing pretty well. had a lot going for it. At one stage, it was the capital of the ancient kingdom of Lydia. Also, it had quite unique landscape. It was actually in two locations. Uh, the oldest section was on a mountain, an Acropolis, which I practiced that a few times this week, um, saying that word, um, which is very significant uh, to the letter, and uh, I'll refer to that a little bit later. Um, and the population also grew um, outside of the mountain and uh, down in the valley, uh, which was uh, interesting as well. Uh, these first six ver- verses that you heard Ebony read from uh, Revelation earlier, um, we're going to look at and unpack today. Uh, if we can go to the slide, uh, the last few weeks, uh, Nick uh, as well, Amy, um, have used a bit of, I suppose, some a bit of scaffolding, I suppose, in how we've uh, we've we've been able to speak uh, and teach through this uh, through this book is through these uh, six points, which is characteristic, complement, criticism, command, and commitment. Uh, it's it's really helpful, and we're going to stick uh, with that tonight, which is good. The letter begins, and the first verse in this says, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This is the message to the church. It's about Jesus' character. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the messenger, holds the Holy Spirit. He speaks with authority the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I have a feeling that these six verses to the church at Sardis are all life-giving, and they, they need to hear them, and they need to be spoken. In the light of this, we'll go to our next one, which is compliment, our next point. And as you can see, bubble, there isn't one. There's no compliment. In this letter, there is no compliment to the church at Sardis. What does that all mean? Well, we're going to just dig and lean into that a little bit more. Jesus doesn't start the letter with complimenting them in any way. You know, there's, there's not much happening in the church for him to compliment. He wants to get straight to the point. He wants to get straight to the heart. I know, uh, you know I mentioned that I, I manage the Q student residence and there's been uh, some feedback I've received over the years that sometimes when I get up to maybe talk to the students, uh, it might be that I, there's maybe a bit of an issue. Uh, maybe the students aren't uh, leaving their cars on Sundays in the car park and they need to put them on the street so the church folk in the morning can park there because a lot of them are elderly. Uh, you know, sometimes I can do a bit of a long-winded story on getting, but I need to get to the point. You know, there might be something else, grievances or, you know, people being loud. I regularly get told, Mark, just get to the point. Uh, that's some feedback I've received because you know, often young people don't need us to soften the blow or wrap it up in cotton wool. Just get to the point. And Jesus gets to the point on this letter pretty much straight away. So our next point tonight is a criticism. It says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. You know, I love how that starts. I know. God is all-knowing. Nothing is hidden from him. The church had a reputation. And Jesus wants to shine a light upon this reputation. 
If Jesus has something to say about reputation, I think it might be worth listening to. But think about Jesus and his time on earth and his reputation. Well, to be honest, he wasn't really all about building his status. He, did, he wasn't all about wanting to be an influencer. I think Jesus was preoccupied with his mission. Jesus' time on earth was, was void of people-pleasing and trying to live up to an expectation that society... He pushed back against trying to appease and gain a good reputation for those of power and influence. So when Jesus says, I know your deeds, or another way to put it, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. When Jesus says that, you know, if I'm the church at Sardis, I'm listening. I'm sitting up, I'm listening to this. There's something he's wanting to say. And I just love how he starts that. I know. Jesus knows. Nothing is hidden from Christ. We're spirit, he says they're spiritually dead, nominal Christians. Jesus could, uh, could see past their disguises, see past their masks, a facade to look good on the outside. Jesus is all-knowing. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to wear disguises because God sees. The, the thing is, too often we can be preoccupied with our reputation and how we are perceived by others. This is not just an individual thing either. Even as a church, we can become preoccupied with other agendas that can take us away from the mission that Jesus has for his church, to be salt and light, to be set apart. All of us represent the church, not only as Q Baptist Church, but the wider church. Let us not forget that. When Jesus says, I know, he knows, nothing is hidden from him. Are we open? Is Jesus speaking to you? Are you hiding from God in some way? behind an agenda, a way of living that might be unhealthy. There may be unforgiveness, fear or insecurity. Jesus says, I know. It is not hidden from him. Just like the church at Sardis, Jesus may be wanting to speak to you. I know for me personally, you know, I, I reckon that this is something even in my 20s, in my 30s, and even now that I can, I can battle with, this sense of wanting to please others, wanting to, to look good wanting to do a good job, have all my ducks in a row, whatever that means. Whoever came up with that, what? that's ridiculous, ducks in a row. I'm not interested in that. What a waste of time. I'm a child of God, not a duck farmer. <laughs> Just like the people of Sardis, reputation stands for nothing if I'm spiritually dead. When I think of that, I, I, I made me think of the story in uh, Matthew 21 where uh, the, Jesus is, is pointing uh, the disciples and, and those that are around him at the time to the withered fig tree. If we, if we know the story, there's a great metaphor that Jesus shares to describe Israel's spiritual health, the people of the time's spiritual health, the hearers, especially those disciples of the time. They were religious, but there was no substance. They were spiritually dead. So Jesus puts a spotlight on his people. When our lives are not producing fruit or we're preoccupied with another agenda, our reputation as such. See, the fig tree, see those leaves, they look good. It looked good on the outside, but it wasn't producing fruit. What does God discover under close inspection of your life? Well, he discovers something for the church at Sardis, which we'll go into a bit more. Because it's a real warning 
It's a real warning that he puts out. So the next point is around command. And again, he is not fluffing around. He is going straight up with these guys. And he says, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Some of that language, wake up, or another way to put it, be watchful, strengthen, remember, obey, repent. Just some context, because again, context is always important when we read Scripture and understand the Word of God. The church at Sardis, when they hear those words, wake up or be watchful, they are very aware of a very significant period in their history that's weighty, that has something very significant about their past that, they, they, that Jesus again reminds them of. I mentioned earlier when I was uh, introducing the, the city of Sardis um, that was on two locations. The original was up on a mountain in the newer area and, um, below the Acropolis. Uh, before that lower section was built, um, this, the Acropolis, the mountain where the, the, the people were, it was prestige and power because they're on top of a mountain. It, it was significant. It was a tower of strength. So any enemies who wanted to defeat uh, Sardis at the time would have had to have, have uh, conquered the mountain as such, get through the walls to defeat those people living uh, behind those, those, that powerful wall. So to win the battle, they were going to have to pe- uh, penetrate the wall, and it was impossible. Although in Sardis's history, not only, not once, but on two occasions, uh, the, the, the vulnerability of the, of, um, the way that they um, guarded that wall um, was discovered. And the people um, of Sardis were horrified when that position of power was over and the impossible occurred. They were defeated by their enemies. So when Jesus refers to wake up, to be watchful, and he uses even the words remember, this was very relevant to the church at Sardis. They, they needed to remember because there was times they weren't diligent. There was times where things had, had happened in their, in their past and they lacked wisdom. They were complacent and they needed to learn from their past again. It is interesting, unlike the other churches that we've looked at the last few weeks in the book of Revelation, Jesus doesn't accuse the church at Sardis of any heresy. There's, no, there's none of this sort of false teaching accusation that we've seen in the other uh, book, uh, letters to the church at Revelation. There wasn't a divide amongst the people in any way. It seemed like it was a real get-along culture. Everyone seemed to be really getting along. But I love there's a verse that says, strengthen what remains. So there's a sense that Jesus wants to draw those that, have, that are dead, that are spiritually dead, because he hadn't given up on them. He was reminding them, pointing them to their past, but also reminding them that there is still time. And it brings us to our next point, which is the commitment or the promise. See, there was these Jesus followers who were there. They weren't preoccupied with their reputation. There was a few that they were bearing fruit. And just as Jesus put the spotlight on those who are spiritually dead, and, and he calls them out to start bearing fruit. But there, 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 there are those that are set apart. And it says, yet you have, you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me 
dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to his church. Jesus recognises them and says that they will walk with him, dressed in white, for they are worthy. Jesus knows that they have remained faithful. They have remained pure, and he uses the image of white, which we know is describing purity. They're not defiled. Additionally, he mentions that they have a place in the book of life. This symbolizes eternal life. I will never blot them from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. I just want us to just just go back a bit. I just want us to go back to those words where he says, they will walk with me. Just love that picture. They will walk with me. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus walking with his beloved, with the pure, that image of white. He promises the pure ones that he will walk with him. This wonderful picture I get when I think of Jesus and his hands of grace and mercy and the fact that despite being called spiritually dead, that Jesus leaves the door open for those at Sardis to return, to wake up. I love the story of the prodigal son. I didn't grow up in church and didn't really uh, grow up going to Sunday school. I didn't. Grow, I went to a public school. Had no sort of concept in lots of ways of of the of the gospel, other than a few little stories and and things I'd, I'd sort of watched Easter. Uh, movies and, and a few Christmas things as a kid growing up. And I sort of knew the gist, but I always, I would, the, the prodigal son story always fascinated me. I always knew sort of, the, sort of what the main theme was around. And I, and I just, I still love that story. The son who squandered his father's wealth. You know, he, and he just, he's poor and he's broken and his masks, he's gone. He's, he loses everything and he wants to come home to his father. He comes to his senses. And so it's, it says in the Bible, it says, and Jesus tells this story, he says, he gets up and he goes to his father. And this is my favorite bit. And the father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Those at Sardis chose to be preoccupied with the allure of temptation to make a name for themselves, to look good on the outside. You know, even tonight as we hear God's word, he may feel that, you know, you're a long way off, like the prodigal. But, but no, he wants you to walk with him. He wants to run to you. He wants to write your name in the book of life. He wants to put white garments on you and make you clean and pure. Jesus never gives up on his people. He didn't give up on those at Sardis, and he sure hasn't given up on you. You don't need to be preoccupied with anything other than knowing Jesus and walking with him. He knows you, but I ask you this question tonight. Do you know him? Are you walking with him, or are you preoccupied with your reputation and how people see you? The prodigal comes home. We don't know what happens to the church at Sardis, But the warning is clear. It's straight up. It's there. Return to me. What does that mean 
for you tonight when you hear those words. Return to me. You may be sitting there and thinking, well, what can I do? Jesus puts a spotlight on Sardis. He does this by saying, I know you. I know your deeds. Don't hide. Don't hide your life in in stuff that you think can lead you to, to ruin and shame and disappointment. The thing is, Jesus' death on the cross, the fact that he took our sin, our shame upon himself, he defeated death, he rose again three days later and made himself known to his followers to set them, to set us free. He set us free from sin, from shame, when we acknowledge him, when we open our hearts to him and walk with him. Through the cross, he made a way for us to walk with him. Through the cross, he made a way for us to be, have eternity with him. You may have not have prayed this prayer before, but ask Jesus to forgive you because you may have been preoccupied with chasing things of the world. As I was reflecting and, uh, and praying even this afternoon, I just had the words, negotiate, just really just, just struck me really hard. Just that word, negotiate. And I just was reflecting on even the church at Sardis and different times in my life where I know that sometimes I negotiate with God, that I can have a, a sense of God, you know, I just, oh, look, I'm, I'm not as... I'm not as bad as, as this person. So surely, God, you know, just I'm right. I think I'm good. I'm, I'm spiritually alive. I'm doing okay. And we can sort of negotiate things with God. Oh, but, you know, I'll just maybe, maybe tomorrow, just let, let things, let this go. And I'll just, you know, tomorrow on my heart, I'll set my heart right before you, God. I'll get things right with you tomorrow. And we have this negotiating that we do. It's to and fro with God that we do. We just sort of like... Just, we're spiritually dead. You know, I often think that even as a church, we can, we can look at those uh, in other churches or others that might be down the street or around the corner and we're like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, not as bad as, I'm not as bad as them. You know, but that question that Jesus asked Sardis, are you hiding? Are you hiding from God? Is there something in your life that you need to allow God in? So we're going to uh, spend a second just praying. And I encourage you just to search your heart. If you're preoccupied with things of the world, if you're negotiating with God, if God's really tapping on your heart, that door is open just like the church at Sardis for you to come back, to know Him, to be set free, sin and shame. Jesus has made a way through the cross and I encourage you tonight, if that is you, just to set your heart right before God. Let us pray and I'll invite the team up. Thanks, guys. Loving God, you know us. It says quite clearly, you know us, God. Too often we waste time, we waste our lives trying to be someone that we are not. Please stop us, Lord, in our tracks. Call us back to who you've called us to be, your children. Lord, you know us. Wake us up and strengthen us as well, Lord, for those times that we've, we've negotiated in some way. 
that we're trying to negotiate with God. God, you call, you call us to be pure and clean. We ask you to forgive us tonight. Jesus, we want to walk with you. We want to stop walking away from you, God. And we commit ourselves again afresh to you tonight. Well, let us stand. Let us worship him. And I encourage you tonight, if there's, there's something, let us stand. I'll be direct and straight now, hey, <clears throat> stand up. Um, but I encourage you tonight, if, if God's really speaking to your heart, if there's something that's, I encourage you to, to just, just linger. Maybe that's the alarm to, that God's wanting for you to, to pay attention, to, to wake up, to be alert. So I encourage you tonight as we, we're going to worship but I encourage you tonight, please feel free. I'll be uh, down the front here and uh, encourage you to yeah, have a chat to myself or Nick or, or uh, Tom or anyone on the ministry team or even the person sitting next to you. Just, I love the question that you could ask who you came with today. I said, how's your walk going? Are you walking with Jesus? How's your walk going? I challenge you, I ask you to ask maybe on the walk back to Rares or your car or wherever you're going, to ask that person you came to church with, how is your walk going?